0: Eighty-five, Jerry! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Here are your hosts, Aaron Dicer and Jeremy Scott. Buoyant. Hell, they could let anybody in here. Well, what, what if I'm a Russian? Be a buoyant Russian. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Recotopia episode 85. I'm Jeremy Scott. And I'm Dicer. And I would like to oh, he's dropping his first name. And I would like to say a special welcome to our friends in the chat who are with us live as we record this and make mistakes we will edit out later for the rest of you to never hear (laughs) episode 85 reminds me of the seinfeld episode where elaine took the iq test on behalf of george but because Mm. she was so distracted she scored poorly and you're in jerry's apartment with her and jerry and He looks out the window and sees George, and he's like, how'd you do, George? And you just hear George's voice go, 85, Jerry. Anyway, this week's big recommend is The Hoax, starring Richard Gere and Alfred Molina. Uh, But before we get there, we like to do some small recommends. Aaron, have you brought any small recommends this week for the gang?
1: It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small. It's tiny. It's petite. It's wee. I have. Uh, we'll talk a current movie and an older movie. We'll start with the uh, the current movie. I wanted to talk a little bit about Bottoms uh, as Ooh. a small recommend. This is a ton of fun. Mm. Um, it comes to us from uh, the same director. I think uh, Seligman is her last name. And uh, she directed uh, Rachel Sinnott in uh, Shiva Baby and uh so now she's directing this of course rachel's in this as well as uh, io uh from uh the bear who you may know mm-hmm. from the bear and many many others and this is a like a teen comedy that kind of harkens back to like a heather's style teen comedy Ooh. where it's very satirical very over the top Um, This is a tone that is really difficult to get right, especially in this era, in this generation. Satire is hard to do um, because it feels so false. It feels so fake. Like, this isn't a real world. Nobody in this movie is existing in a real world. So when you want to turn that into a real message or a real emotion, it can become very difficult. But I think this movie manages to do it pretty well. Um, Lots of laughs here, lots of over-the-top high school type comedy, um, Jeremy, I think you're really going to dig this. Uh, I can't when you wait get, it's, when you get it's around to seeing one it. One that
0: I'm going to get to here in, in the next month or so. And I keep hearing that Marshawn Lynch uh, has a scene stealing turn as a gym teacher or coach
1: or something. He's, he's a teacher who ends up sponsoring their club. Um, and, you know, I think athletes sometimes get graded on a different scale. other actors right when LeBron James is in something it's like yeah LeBron's pretty good you know like um and so there is a little bit of that but no he actually holds his own on a comedy level with everybody and what they're doing in here so yeah I thought Marshawn was fine in this I thought he was good
0: excellent uh my first small recommend this week is also a movie it's brand new I believe Friday is when it came out it's a Hulu original called no one will save you and it stars Uh, Why did I just lose her name? Caitlin Deaver. This is from the guy who made Spontaneous, which uh, I big recommended on this show uh, a year or more ago. And I have raved about several times. Uh, That movie bends genres. Uh, This movie uh, does the same. Basically, Caitlin Deaver plays a girl named Bryn, who is a hermit. Um, She dances around to old-timey music on records, happily picks up and hangs up the phone whenever it rings. It's clear that she's intentionally cut herself off from the world, and throughout the movie, we'll get some bits of information as to why. Uh, This movie has almost zero dialogue. Uh, Arguably, there's one line that the main character says. There are moments where she sort of half-mutters exclaims something like an, Oh, or "gah" or what? And, and so maybe it's cheating to say this movie only has one line of dialogue. There's, there's a couple of background characters that speak, uh, but for the most part, she's carrying this movie on physical acting and facial acting. And she's every bit as good as she has ever been. Um, this movie is funny. This movie is scary. This movie is gross. Uh, it's kind of an alien invasion, home invasion, Thing that about 20 minutes in ends where most alien invasion movies would end like a thing happens, and you're like, Oh, it's a 20 minute movie, and the credits are gonna roll, but then it just keeps going. Uh, and it's very clever in that regard. Um, and then it has an ending that delighted me. Uh, I can't recommend this enough if you like Caitlin Deaver uh, or uh, Twisty Fun Horror Romp thrillers
1: uh it's on hulu uh fly you fools okay. <laughs> um very high on my list uh i checked this out last night um huh? and uh i think caitlin deaver is amazing in this movie i think to be honest i believe she's the reason this works because <clears throat> this is very gimmicky be a, like like once you lock into what they're doing here it could very easily become Uh, I think somebody would be talking here during this. You know what I like? Very easily you can slip into, I see what you're doing. It reminds me of, uh, you know, the screen movies where everything's on a screen. And sometimes it's like, uh, I see how you had to force that to be on the computer screen. Or, you know, when you're doing the found footage and it's like, would somebody really have a camera right there? You know, (laughs) you're trying to stick to the gimmick. Uh, And there is a little bit of that here, but she saves it. She's, I think she's uh really incredible in this uh yeah. and worth watching just for her performance alone if I don't if nothing think I've else. ever
0: seen her be anything but great um in everything she's been in um no. smart she does the comedy well she did that show on Netflix about the assault uh, mm-hmm. unbelievable she's yeah. amazing in
1: that um she was you know, she was good in the Tim Allen show like she was she's, good in the Tim Allen show she's she's you know she My she rises
0: above that a fair bit and it's mm-hmm obvious that other than Tim Allen like she's the only other real
1: talent on that show she's I will not stand for this Nancy Travis erasure I will Travis is just playing (laughs) Tim Allen's wife she has
0: been great in the past but it's clear that this girl was acting circles around the other siblings on that show
1: no I I agree I actually uh One year when we went to L.A., went to a taping of that show, a live taping of that show, and uh, saw her act circles around everybody. How
0: long does a taping of a half-hour sitcom last?
1: That one lasted about three hours, Um, and they passed around pizza at about the two-hour I was going to say, they feed you,
0: right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Just cheese pizza, like (laughs) the worst. Have you
0: ever gone back and watched that episode to try and
1: hear your own laugh because that (laughs) would be no that would why not why are you why would you not do that because because i wasn't playing that game like so i wasn't i wasn't laughing i wasn't it's so hard for me because you know they're like all right, guys, like, laugh it up, you know? And it's like, how about you just show us the comedy, and if we laugh, we laugh. And so, like, I'm purposefully just, like, I don't hearted. know. When people I tell see. me to laugh, I'm just, like, I don't know. Then I feel like I'm serving their, you know, uh, capitalistic purposes and not well, my own sense of humor. I
0: agree with there is if I'm ever at a thing where somebody holds up an applause sign, I am not clapping. That's
1: That's what I'm saying. Like, I get it. <laughs> I understand what you're doing. Part of what you're producing is the audience reaction at a live show but i i want you to be confident enough in your material that you just let the audience react you know but uh, that's just not how it works um so yeah do you have a second small recommend this week sir uh, i do it is an older film um i finally got around to seeing a bronx tale which is uh De Niro's directorial debut Ooh. uh based on a Chaz Palmentary uh one-man show uh that he did for a long time and uh de niro also acts in it and they basically play kind of the two father figures uh to this young man who is growing up in the bronx uh during uh i believe the 60s uh if i remember that correct, maybe like late 50s early 60s somewhere in that range um, and kind of how he deals with that, how he deals with growing up in that era and being in especially the, you know, the racially charged uh, part of that. There's an interracial relationship uh, that, that plays into what's going on here lots of narration it's very good fellas you can you can really tell that de niro was paying attention when uh scorsese was directing him in in Goodfellas. there's lots of needle drops lots of narration the difference is uh in in my opinion and i'm not saying there's no heart in marty scorsese movies that's not what i'm saying i'm saying ah. there's there's a real interesting heart here about what it means to be loved versus what it means to be feared and which is more powerful, which is more important. And I don't know that the movie gives any easy answers on that question. It really kind of shows you that that both things have uh, results, consequences, uh, both negative and positive. Uh, so I don't know it's a little over the top at a couple points but i really really liked a bronx tale um i'd say i loved a bronx tale i thought it was great so i'm really glad i watched it and i liked what it had to say um and you know found it a little breezier a little more accessible than uh some of the gangster stuff that uh that scorsese and others have done so yeah
0: all right well um i saw it once uh probably right when it hit video after being in the theaters, maybe a year after. And I don't remember anything about it. Um, so it's one of those I need to go back to. And I'm also wondering what happened to Ch- Chaz Terry because for the 90s, it seemed like he was everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just don't see him anymore. I Googled, he's yeah. still alive.
1: Yeah, he's still around.
0: Heartbreaking news on Recotopia regarding the... <laughs> living death status of actors from gangster movies. I believe
1: believe we can say now, uh, just breaking, uh, Chaz Palmentary is still alive. Excellent. Excellent. Now, I will tell you this. If somehow he dies. Oh, no. Don't. This next week. Before uh, the episode comes out. I will be beside myself.
0: Um, My second small recommend to keep things super serious is a soft drink. Uh, (laughs) Not long ago, I brought you uh, the Tropical Sprite and the cherry Sprite that Mm -hmm. uh, they had rolled out. And not to be outdone, 7-Up has released this tropical 7-Up that, from what I can tell, is exclusive to Kroger stores. And I would imagine that's all of the owned by Kroger stores, like Fred Meyer and Ralph's and all that stuff. Um, Oh, ladies and gentlemen, this is one of my favorite soft drinks I've ever had. Mm. I'm on my fourth bottle. um, I don't drink soft drinks much at all i have like a half of a 20 ounce bottle every other day i've cut, mm-hmm. cut it mostly out of my life but so over the last two three weeks i've had like four or five bottles of this stuff <laughs>
1: good um, i thought you were gonna say i'm on my fourth bottle of the day it's uh-huh. 11 it's 11 30
0: i just uh i mean now back in my movie theater management days when i could go down to the concession and fill my 32 ounce cup with mm-hmm. mountain dew oh i was drinking so much Soft drinks is not good. Uh, but anyway, go get thee to a Kroger or Kroger-owned superstore near you and try a Tropical Seven Up because I believe you will not regret it. So there you go. Very nice. Looks also, yummy. yes, Slab is correct in the chat that we need to somebody needs to make a list of all the food and beverage recommends on the show. Um, because sure, it's probably fifty percent soft drinks at this point, which is wild. Um, all right, it's time for this week's big recommend. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just that you're so big.
1: It's so huge.
0: It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. Going back to 2006 with Richard Gere and Alfred Molina and Las Holstrom um, as the director and The Hoax. Uh, this is based on a true story. Uh, Clifford Irving is a real person who really did try and pull this off uh, and then turned it into a memoir called the hoax uh and he was on set as a uh consultant until he disliked what he saw enough to ask his name to be removed from the film so take that for what it's worth uh the movie opens near the end needlessly we'll get to that when we get to that uh but the true open of the movie is clifford irving um trying to sell his second book he's in a meeting with some publisher representatives and they're telling him you're your ask book was good, but it didn't didn't sell very well. But we're really excited about this new book. It's gonna be awesome. And then we have this woman who named Andrea, who I thought was his agent for a time, but then it's clear she works at the publishing office. So maybe she's the woman who signs him or signed him. But she's telling him all this foolish stuff like they're gonna put so many units behind this book, they're gonna throw so much money at it. This is a sure thing. So what does Clifford Irving do? He goes out and starts spending money. Um, if there's one thing the movies have taught me, it's t- to never go out and spend money until you actually have the money uh, to afford those things. But so he buys a new car uh, and he plans... That's, by the
1: way, that's just called economics. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, we get a brief interaction with his wife uh, where we hear her say uh, something and he assures her it's over with her. Uh, so we know that he has in the past had some sort of affair, but uh that night he goes to a mixer cocktail party, not sure entirely and that's where he's slapped in the face by Andrea with the news that they're not publishing his book. Somebody at Life magazine read it and hated it, and the book publisher really is, respects that guy's opinion and it has snowballed and now you're screwed um he had already planned this boy's getaway with his friend Dick that's Alfred Molina down to Nassau I think um and so they uh, they decide to go, and there's a scene on the plane that I think is really important, but it's kind of a throwaway scene where Clifford asks Dick about his new book, uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm writing about, I forget whether, King Richard or something. He's like, hey, I really want to keep it authentic, but what do you do about the sodomy? Um, but uh, <laughs> Clifford says, I'm sure it'll be great. You're You're an excellent researcher and a fine writer, and I feel like that's maybe one of the worst backhand compliments I've ever seen in film. <laughs> like, to say you're you're a superior researcher, but you're down here as a writer. But the word right. fine is still implied to be a compliment. And I just think it speaks to the mindset of Clifford and how much he loves himself and his own thoughts and ideas and work and, and how he sees everybody else around him. Um, anyway, I think that's kind of an important character note. Then at one in the morning, they get, they get kicked out of the resort, as all of the residents do, because Howard Hughes, famous billionaire, aviator, filmmaker, germaphobe, has decided he wants the entire hotel to himself, uh, and Clifford notes that power, uh, but they're still kind of put out. He goes back to his publisher. Um, he's going to pitch a new book. But before he can pitch a new book, uh, he is pawned off on a young intern-looking girl assistant instead of Andrea. Uh, And he's instantly annoyed that he has been demoted uh, as a writer. And he storms into the conference room (laughs) and says, I'm writing the greatest book of the 20th century. You meet me tomorrow (laughs) morning at a bowling alley at 930 and you'll get the pitch, Simon and, & Simon and Schuster will be there. And he storms out, and I think it speaks to his charisma that that works. Um, and so Andrea shows up the next day, and thankfully by then, Clifford has been inspired by a magazine cover of Howard Hughes to write the great American biography on Howard Hughes. He has actually trained himself overnight to (laughs) forge Howard Hughes' writing style in a way that will pass more than one handwriting test. Um, And I gather that some measure of that must have actually
1: happened. No, Uh, yeah, I researched that part specifically. And to me, it is the most amazing part. Uh, a A handwriting expert said if it were a forgery, it'd be a one in a million. They gave it a one in a million chance of being a forgery. Um, and so, yeah, he, he somehow uh, fooled them. That's crazy. So his story, his idea,
0: as he explains to Dick, is this guy is a hermit. No one ever sees him. No one speaks to him directly. He does hand-pass notes to even his top closest advisors. He's also got this lawsuit going on That's going to cost him hundreds of millions of dollars. He's not going to say anything. and No one can prove we didn't talk to him. I'll come up with the story, bumped into him at that resort when we were getting kicked out, hit it off, sent him my book. He loved it. And we started talking more and more. And the idea of this autobiography came up. And uh, so he starts reading everything he can about the man. And uh, they go to D.C. and start researching him. They start photographing government documents. (laughs) in the Congressional Library, which is illegal. They even steal documents from the Pentagon, which is wild. Um, And uh, then they go to Vegas, and they meet with this guy, Noah Dietrich, who was one of Hughes' right-hand men, and they're expecting him to be really cagey and not give them any information. It's the opposite. He's like, come on in. Do you want some tea? Here's this manuscript I wrote about my time with Howard Hughes. And they're like, oh, well, great. This is great. Thank you. And he's like, oh, you can't take it. You have to read it right now and then tell me if you want to work with me on a book. I'm going to go get in the pool. That's what old people do. So he sends Dick out surreptitiously to photocopy the entire manuscript, stealing. Um, and then they go in and tell him, oh, this is no good. It's unpublishable. I'm sorry. Uh, and I think it's worth noting that at almost every point where there is a risk that needs to be taken, he makes Dick do it. Mm-hmm. Um He doesn't do it himself. And again, I think this speaks to his self-love and narcissism. uh, And there's an act he will do later that we'll get to that really spells that all out. So they get called to the publisher's office because Life Magazine has some suspicions about their book. Um, And here's an interesting scene because... Dick spouts off before they can even get in. Nobody's even sitting down yet. Dick is like, he gave me
1: a prune. <laughs> it's um, the funny, it's the funniest thing in the movie to me. It's, it's hysterical. Oh, uh, he gave me a prune. Uh and he's and so Cliff, good in that scene. Uh
0: he's good in the home. I think he's yeah. the secret star of the movie. Um, yeah. but this is where we get an amazing scene of Clifford's incredible storytelling abilities that get them off the hook. He makes up on the spot this absolutely believable riveting story about how they met hughes that ends with him offering dick a prune and having done just a wee bit of improv in college it's it's really hard to do that well his charisma is what skates him by he actually says at one point go in the room tell them the most audacious thing ever and because it's what they want to hear they'll give you half a million dollars um. Anyway, I love that scene. Um, that Dick moves into the guest house at Cliff's home. We get some more scenes with Cliff and his wife. I think it's interesting to point out that all of the, his wife's paintings in this movie are the real Edith's paintings. His now ex-wife. Um, well, I'm not sure she's alive anymore. Um, but uh, when they made the movie, Clifford Irving, the real man, thought it would be you know the right thing to do to have her paintings licensed and used as. Her paintings. I thought that was an interesting detail of, I guess, reality. Mm-hmm. Clifford does go to a bar with Dick. Um, and yeah. And then he stays and Dick goes home and he stupidly goes and has an affair again with this form of flame um, and regrets it immediately. Uh, and uh, so do we. Uh, then they start <laughs> listening to tapes of Hughes' testimony before Congress and Cliff playfully imitates his voice and has kind of a fun nap for picking it up. And when, then this is where we get my favorite scene in the entire movie where they start to do an interview between Dick and Hughes and Clifford is doing Hughes's voice. And the very first question is about his father and Clifford just gets lost Mm -hmm. in playing the character of Hughes and becomes Hughes, at least to he and Dick in the moment. Uh, And again, I think it speaks to, his abilities. He's, he's a bad person, at least as this movie portrays, uh, but he's talented uh, at the stuff that can help you skate by. Anyway, I love that. At the end of that scene, um, Dick says, Jesus, Cliff, and that's it. Uh, and I think that's where we see that both the pinnacle of his talent, um, but also the moment where he like maybe completely loses himself in this campaign. But now, well, wait a minute, there's news of another Hughes book at another publisher, and excerpts in another magazine, and the publisher is furious. So again, Cliff sends Dick down to Nassau to have another forged letter sent to the publisher from Howard Hughes. And Cliff goes in to the publisher's meeting on the offensive. Um, And this is a true gamble. He has demanded that the CEO of the owning company be there. This is uh, Stanley Tucci. Um, And if this gambit doesn't work, he's done. But it works because he goes on the defensive. He starts telling the publishing executive, I don't like your tone. Don't talk to me in that tone anymore. You over there, CEO guy, there's a letter. Have you gotten your mail yet? Go get your mail. And so it's a rambling rant about how much Hughes hates the CEO of Life magazine. Um, And basically... Cliff demands, and Howard demands, Howard quotes in a letter, a um, million dollars, or we're taking it to another publisher, despite the fact that we have a contract. Uh, and again, Cliff just hits the gas in terms of being on the offensive uh, and walks out of the room, and of course it works. Um, <clears throat> and this may actually be Cliff's best performance, because uh, I think he fully, he even says, I am. Howard Hughes, and and I think he believes it a little bit, even though he doesn't. That's not what he means literally by saying this the sentence. He's saying I'm speaking for him right now. Um, anyway, love that scene. Uh, so just like that, they cut a check uh, for a million dollars, and there's one problem. They make it out to Howard Hughes. So how do Cliff and Dick cash or deposit a check made out to Howard Hughes? And then that, this is where Cliff's wife, Lady Macbeth herself, into the picture. Um, and comes up with this idea to have the check remade out to his initials, H. R. Hughes, and then create a fictional woman who can go to Switzerland and open up a Swiss bank account with their fake ID and her for H. R. Hughes and deposit the check. This this is ultimately what does them in. Um, and I feel like they should have known that, but they I think were pretty desperate um at this point because otherwise they weren't going to get any money before she leaves on her trip though she finds a letter to cliff and opens it which is not cool don't do that spouses but it's from nina uh, the mistress and this is where she realizes that he's cheated on her again while she's in switzerland clifford receives a box of really interesting documents that suggest howard hughes gave money to nixon's brother And all sorts of other political influence, uh, bribery type stuff. And he believes this box has been sent to him by Howard Hughes himself. Because he believes Howard wants us to take down Nixon. (laughs) Uh, And I just think it's fascinating how quick something can spiral out of control. um, Once you start believing your own lie. They're called to the publisher's office. Because Howard Hughes has contacted them and he plans to call at one o'clock and he's going to talk with a journalist that has interviewed him extensively in the past and would know whether or not it's the real Howard Hughes. Cliff is so nervous, he leaves the room, uh, tries to tries to flee it ends up in a fire stairwell and finds dick who's also trying to flee but there's no exit so clifford has to go back up and says what happened and they're like no and he sent us out of the room and eventually the journalist comes out and says that was 100 percent howard hughes and he says you are a fraud uh he's never met you or talked to you hang on lost my place in my notes clifford starts <laughs> What appears to be, I love this shot, what appears to be an admission of guilt, I have led you astray, I've lied to you, and as the camera pans around to the front of his face, we realize this is just his thoughts. He hasn't actually spoken yet, um, so he is not going to admit that he's guilty, and he instead spins another story about having dirt on Hughes because he thought this might happen, and uh, they basically give him two days to produce the manuscript and Howard Hughes. So Cliff goes and finds Dick drunk at a bar with two girls and sees an evil opportunity to ensure Dick's loyalty in this scheme and basically pays one of the girls to go home with Dick and sleep with him. Uh, And Dick has been shown to be a man that really loves his wife and has not until now been unfaithful. Uh, And this is cruelty Um, through and through. And uh, Dick has done nothing to deserve it. All right, so the day of Howard Hughes' arrival comes. Clifford shows up, gives two manuscripts, one to the journalist dude from before and one to the head publishing guy. They apparently read this 1,000-page document in what looks like a couple of hours. I don't know how they did that, but good for them. Maybe you can speed read when you get to that level of publishing. (laughs) Um, Meanwhile, uh, Howard has a huge list of specific instructions or he will not arrive. They had to tear off the carpet of the top floor floors and evacuate the top four floors and make a northwest, east, south grid on the roof with white powder paint. It's all these specific things, which is just Cliff's genius plan um, because he has rigged it so that one little detail, east and west being reversed on the roof, uh, causes the helicopter to approach and then leave. This might be bad, uh, except when he gets downstairs, the exec and the journalist freaking loved the manuscript. They call it a masterpiece. So, again, the truth or questions about it are shoved to the side. But the media keeps up the pressure and then Edith calls from Europe and says she thinks she's being watched. Probably is. She's committing a huge crime over there. But then Cliff is kidnapped and taken to a hotel, probably Florida, Nassau, I don't really even know. Um, And he's brought before Howard Hughes, right hand man. Um, he's too bold, and cocky, saying he deserves to meet Howard. So they throw him off the roof of the balcony into the pool below and then pick him up in a car. And basically, this guy confirms Mr. Hughes wants that Nixon information in the book. So he goes to the publisher, begging for the Nixon information to be put in the book, but overhears a call coming in from the Zurich District Attorney's Office and realizes his wife has been detected in Switzerland and takes off hightailing it. But the media is waiting for him at home. His wife returns and gives him one chance to come clean about the affair, one chance to finally be honest instead of always lying. And he tells a partial truth that he then spins into a lie of him denying Nina and telling her no. And his wife seems to believe him. And it's kind of disturbing um, because that, again, speaks to how far he can get manipulating people just with his natural acting and improv ability.
1: It also speaks to human nature, which I think is uh, a really interesting thing as well. So, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, before we're done, Dick finds out that Cliff paid for the girl to sleep with him and goes to confront her. I meant to point this out. When Dick finds out the next morning after, after cheating and breaks down over what he's done, it's one of the most powerful scenes uh, I've seen in a long while because it just rings extremely true. Uh, but now he, he's mad. Cliff begins ranting and telling the story about being kidnapped and meeting with Hughes and Dick says it's all in his head. Dick saw Cliff that night inside the house, drunk and rambling. Goodness gracious, none of that happened. Uh, which you, I guess you kind of suspect when it's happening, the way it's shot is sort of dreamlike, what have you. Um, but then Hughes finally goes public and outs Cliff as a fraud, all while Cliff is at a fancy party and it's on TV and he's humiliated publicly. So He gets arrested and we learn that He takes a higher sentence so that his wife and Dick can take a lower sentence. He has one more hallucinated conversation with this right-hand man of Howard Hughes, where he imagines the whole ordeal. Everything was orchestrated by Howard and that they wrote the book at Howard's direction only to have Howard use it as a poker chip uh, for his own gain. And then there's a moment at the end of this movie that I will outright tell you I hate uh, where Dick goes walking through New York city, hugest city in America and just happens by a store where Dick has now written and published his book and he's doing a signing and they exchange glances and then (laughs) Dick walks away. And I wrote, what the shit? Um, (laughs) And that's the end of the movie. Um, Aaron, I believe this was your first time seeing The Hoax. Okay, to give us your
1: thoughts. Uh, What an incredible story. Um, Mm -hmm. I am an absolute sucker for true stories uh and i understand hollywood has a history of changing them adapting them this is no different uh, lots of adaptations to the true story from the fact that um clifford spent months planning this didn't just have it on a spur of a moment i like this was this was a deliberate plan not a like spur of the moment idea uh, the fact that Dick was much more involved and not like a patsy like the movie makes him out to be. They were really co-conspirators and and all that kind of stuff. And I get why you do those things, right? You, may, you sure. We need Dick to show us the better version of Clifford. We need somebody who we feel uh, sorry for this terrible, uh, you know, how this terrible man. And is another example of of how he is just using everybody in his path but I'm a sucker for a true story this is a really fascinating one and goes along the lines of and I won't be using this for my super secret double feature but it is a gr- it is a, a fairly obvious choice uh, it's that catch me if you can thing right like where it's just like if you're confident enough about something yeah. and you've done the least bit of homework on you know whatever you're doing people will believe anything because we just go through our lives expecting that everybody approaches things like we do which is i'm who i am i'm not i'm you know i'm not pretending i mean i guess you could have an interesting deep conversation about how we're all performing on some level or another but not usually in these big ways of today i'm going to be an airline pilot even though i've never taken a single class in what it means to be a pilot you know um And much like that movie, we also have the aspect here of this man doing this terrible thing, treating people terribly, trying to get away with it. And what does he get? Some time in prison. And now he gets to make money off of it. Now he gets to tell his story and sell it as a book and sell it as a movie and get rich off of. And I'm just like, that's this is the our society has to stop rewarding behavior because we want to be entertained by it i don't know how to fix that um but yeah it's it's one of those things that uh that uh is uh, overall uh it's just it's t- like the cognitive dissonance kind of comes into the true yep. story uh, part of it so I love I love the true story aspect of everything that's going on here um speaking of that in some of the research it was interesting to see like some of the things he told the movie people also weren't true like that whole helicopter thing never happened but he told the movie people it did uh, and wanted it in the movie and that kind of thing um so it's not like this person has necessarily changed their ways either so um that was interesting well, even catch
0: me if you can, as your example of mm-hmm. early comparison has, you know, since been proven, not proven, shown to me that he basically made all that up. He didn't do most of what
1: that movie because the only source was him.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I have several scenes in this that I really, really liked. Uh, you, you mentioned, uh, all of them, I think actually the scene where he does the false confession, where you think he's confessing, mm-hmm. and it pans around, and he's not saying anything. Um, I don't know that I've ever really seen that before, and that's interesting because it works really, really well. Yeah. Um. And and is a nice little uh you know trick on the audience, and I think it does what it what it's supposed to do. It lets us live in a world where he's an actual human being for a second and then takes it away from us and goes, no, not this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And like you said,
0: maybe it's arguable that he hasn't really even learned anything from this whole thing.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. The other one you mentioned was the, you're exhausted from the lies. So mm. go ahead and tell me the truth. This Mm. is your moment to be clean. And he he does something that the best liars know to do, which is to tell a half truth. Mm-hmm. He does that thing where it's like, yes, I met with her. Yes, you know, I shouldn't have done it. Um, I, you know, I was uh, attracted to her or whatever. And but I just I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And because the the human nature thing, when somebody is talking to you and they're willing to go. Um, You know, yeah, I screwed up. Yeah, but, but, but this didn't, like, there's something about wanting to grab hold of that and to offer grace and forgiveness or whatever. And it's a really fascinating look into uh, how people can be deceived so easily and how easy it is to deceive people. Well, Um, and the
0: whole movie arguably is trying to point out, you know, if people want to believe something, um. It's so much easier to convince them that it's true. The publishers all want the Howard Hughes' book. Like they're like, this is going to sell mm-hmm. more copies than the Bible. They all want this to be true,
1: and that helps sell his lie. Sorry, you were going to say something. No, I, I, I think that's, I think that's it, right? And there's even a scene where uh, they are presenting the book for the first time. I don't remember if you mentioned this or not, but. They're presenting the book for the first time, and the the guy is saying something along the lines of, uh, "We we love this book. It's so clearly a look into Howard Hughes's mind. If you were to fake this, you'd have to be Shakespeare, and we know Clifford isn't Shakespeare, right? Exactly, you know, like that kind of thing. And that's just such a beautiful look at like." the, the way you can dismiss something, um, you know, uh, it, it's just, I, I found that really fascinating and interesting. Um, Richard Gere has said, this is his most underrated film. I thought that was, uh, an interesting thing. He said that in an interview one time that he feels like this is his most underrated film. He's really good. He's really good in this. And, uh, and so, yeah, I would, I would agree. I think he is really good in this. Um, There's a heisty element to this movie that I like as well, especially from the beginning. And that's where I have to be careful with with like my own like rooting interests and stuff because there's something about pulling a con that Mm -hmm. I find uh, captivating and intoxicating, right? And so the idea of we're, we're going to read this uh, document in front of you while you're swimming in the pool and he's handing it, you know, surreptitiously to Dick and Dick's running out and actually making a copy and then coming back and he's like, okay, we're done. We read the whole thing and it's terrible. Um <laughs> like that whole thing is really fun. And so then I'm like, yeah, but no, it shouldn't be fun. It should be terrible. That's terrible. They're doing terrible things. So then I have that cognitive dissonance thing that, that, that uh, goes off with me as well. So, um, but yeah, no, I had a good time. I think the hoax is a really good flick.
0: I think, I mean, even at the end of the movie, I believe it says that he's still trying to get his autobiography of Hughes published Mm, mm -hmm. like today. Yeah. Completely made up. Now, would I read the shit out of that? Yes, I would, because I have seen <laughs> and enjoyed this movie. But it just, yeah, just, oh, still, let's still publish this thing. I'm I'm famous for faking. That just it's wild mm-hmm. to me. It uh, is wild. A few more notes. Uh, that Time Magazine cover in his jail cell is altered to look like Richard Gere, but that's real. He was really on the cover of Time Magazine. So, again, something he probably saw as a reward, something that probably spurred him to write the book that led to this movie, Um, so yeah, as a society, we've got to stop rewarding people for doing terrible things just because like you said, it's entertaining to us. The movie says it starts with the helicopter scene. I don't think movie gains much from doing this in the middle in medias res thing or whatever, Mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't hate it. But then it says four months earlier and I would just like the people who made this movie to know how hard it would be to write any book. In less than four months, (laughs) let alone (laughs) one as large and detailed that they'd have to do all this research for. I've written a few books. It's not as easy as this movie makes, it seem. So when you talk about the fact that he didn't just come up with the idea overnight, but was something he planned for months, I'm thinking the writing of the book also lasted longer in real life. Oh, I'm sure it did, yeah. Um, Let's see. Uh, History, from what I can gather, does sort of suggest that this book and Howard denouncing it and the whole hoax probably did lead Nixon, as the movie suggests, to authorize the break-in at the Watergate Hotel to find out what else, mm-hmm. what what other dirt do they know about me? And yeah, I like the backdrop of the war protests uh, here and there because I feel like the real good humans were either over there fighting or protesting that war on behalf of the soldiers. And here's this guy trying to get rich, telling a fake story by conning everybody. I just think it's a nice dichotomy there to look at. Um, all right. That's all of my notes. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the hoax and I am very excited to see what Aaron's super secret double feature is this week. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew.
1: Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com
0: be very very quiet secret what
1: secret a dirty little secret I tell you something i've never told anyone indeed uh, i mentioned catch me if you can uh decided not to go that route uh clearly thought of howard Hughes stuff like the aviator decided mm-hmm. that was a little too on the nose even briefly considered i love you philip morris mm-hmm. as a as an interesting uh route to go with this with the deception and stuff Uh, But then I remembered a movie that is way, way too perfect uh, Mm -hmm. for a double feature for this. Uh, It is a Melissa McCarthy movie from a few years back called Can You Ever Forgive Me? Oh, my God, I saw this. And basically in this very, very similar, uh, based on a true story, this actually happened. Uh, She wasn't getting her stuff published anymore. And so she just decided to forge letters from famous people who had died. Yeah. So, and sell them on the black market. And uh, it's really good. She's really good in it. She is. Um, And it fits perfectly with the themes of this movie and what's going on here. I think this movie handles it a little more um, seriously. Like there's a little more, you know, there's a lot of fun in the hoax. Mm-hmm. This movie isn't as fun as The Hoax, but no. I do find it just as interesting and maybe even a little more con- uh, uh, contemplative uh, than The Hoax is. So, um, it's so, like a odd couple friendship in this movie. Correct. Correct. And she kind of brings him down with her, yeah, uh, in many ways. Um, so it also really deals with that theme of people just want to believe what they want to believe. In fact, the last shot of the, I guess, uh, Spoilers for the last shot of Can You uh, Ever Forgive Me? But the last shot indicates that a person may not care if the letter's forged. They're going to display it anyway. And, you know, and that's kind of the point, right? Is sometimes it's just like, you've given me, you know, fun with this fakery. I'm just going to take this fakery as real. Yeah, it's a really good, really good movie. Really enjoyed it.
0: Uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me is great. I completely forgot about that until you threw up that that graphic. And I was like, oh, I've seen that. I think I've seen it twice. Yeah. and, yeah, she's she's so much more than her typical comedy style. She's got talent. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, sure. uh, all right, What what is next week's homework for the people?
1: Uh, I've only seen this movie one time mm-hmm. and loved it, and I want to go back to it. It is Woody Allen's Match Point. Oh, my uh, God. With Scarlett Johansson. Um, I am so curious to watch this again with a fresh pair of eyes and see if it it holds up uh, as much Um, because I love this movie. It's in my top 100 movies of all time uh, currently, so I I owe it a revisit for So
0: I've seen this movie probably seven or eight times. Nice. Um, I really, really like it. I think there's a lot to unpack and discuss, Mm -hmm. Uh, so I'm super excited that you chose it. Uh, For those of you playing along at home, this is free on Tubi. It's free on Amazon Prime Video, it's free on Plex, and it's free on the Roku channel. Good job, Aaron, picking something that is free in a lot of places. (laughs) You're Um,
1: welcome. You're welcome.
0: And yes, co-stars Brian Cox and Emily Mortimer. And uh, yes, very, very, very good movie. uh, I'm excited to discuss. uh, Nice. All right, I think we have time for one or two questions. And since we didn't get to too many last week. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. Uh, let's try this. Oh, okay. So just to address this, I did have a question for the podcast that was simply, where's Chris been lately? Uh, and <laughs> So I figured
1: I would address again for anybody who love, missed it. I love the idea that somebody's just now noticing. I love yeah. the idea that somebody's just now being like, Hey, hey, it's hey. been 20 episodes. Where's Chris? <laughs> Where's that Chris uh, guy? Chris is on an extended hiatus, a sabbatical,
0: if you will. Uh, he has not taken any serious vacations in, uh, well, since we started uh, and He needed a break and wanted to pursue some other things. Uh, and so he will be back uh, and... Uh, I appreciate that you guys uh, care enough to notice that he's gone and ask where he is. Um, A proper question, Q&A question, what are some of your favorite underrated or underknown
1: needle drops in movies? This is a really tough one for me because I only notice needle drops in the moment. They don't stick with me in a way that maybe a quote might, well, even quotes, I'm not necessarily a quote person either, but so it's like hard for me to recall Uh, What I eventually went with was a moment that I did find really impactful, which is the end of Jojo Rabbit, um, where Mm. Bowie's Heroes comes on. And it's in German. It's the German version of uh, uh, Bowie's Heroes. Um, And it's because they're in this moment at the end of the movie and they just say, well, what do we do now? And they both just start dancing to no music. And then the needle drops, and it's so good. I, it's just a really good moment. So that's the one that came to mind. That's
0: probably one of my favorite movie endings of all time. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, it's really great. I like that ending more than I like the whole of the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. I like the movie. Um, There's a movie uh, from 2000, I think, called Wonder Boys that will eventually get big recommended on this show unless we did it and I forgot one of my very favorite movies with Michael Douglas. Uh, And there are two original Bob Dylan songs in that movie. Uh, One that opens the movie called Things Have Changed, and it's a good song and it won the Oscar. But then the second one is called Not Dark Yet. And it comes about two thirds of the way through the movie when Michael Douglas's character is kind of at the bottom emotionally. And the song is just great, broody, melancholy, uh, bob dylan and every time i watch that movie i end up going to youtube and listen to that whole song <clears throat> maybe we did do wonder boys people are saying maybe we did i don't know i'll have to research that's the problem when you do 85 episodes of a recommendation <laughs> show you start to forget what you recommended it's, true. it's um, true all right uh what is a movie that you like but will not ever make the cut to be featured as a big recommend.
1: Why don't we, it's so weird to answer this question because then it's like you're locking yourself <laughs> in to never doing it as a big recommend. So you really, you almost kind of have to be careful. Um, I eventually went with the house bunny. Which I just mm. I just think is really funny, and uh, and I don't hear a lot of people talking about. it. I can't imagine a world where I make that a big recommend. So I'm okay yeah. locking it in the prison of will never be a big recommend. My but I do enjoy the House Bunny. that movie. Um, I don't so even I've know how it. well it holds up. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I just I just remember thinking it was hilarious. Like
0: Emma Stone's in that before yeah. she was really famous. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I put the 2015 Ed Helms Vacation remake, which just makes me giggle all the way through, and I recognize that. Uh, that one is a weird, funny bone for me because it did not please the masses, and it has a bad enough rating. I think I've recommended a couple movies that have bad Rotten Tomatoes scores, but but like like Thirteenth Warrior, I think. But I have nowhere near the faith in, in the vacation <laughs> movie that I had in the Thirteenth Warrior. Um, <clears throat> all right, one more, and then we out of here. I'm gonna go get a burger. Um, mm. Which actors who are not related played the most
1: convincing siblings? Bonus points if you also want to do (laughs) parent-child. Let's see. I mean, Schwarzenegger and DeVito clearly, uh, you know, played really convincing siblings uh, in Twins. Um, You know, they just the way they look alike and talk alike. um, That is a joke. Uh, Let's see. What about the Winklevoss Twins? Uh, they they're really, really similar, uh, in that case, probably cause they were played by the same actor. Uh, my real answer is the, the Weasley family in the Harry Potter movies. Uh, I think they really look like their siblings. Uh, that's a good job of casting that family. So, all right.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, it does not look like we've done a main recommend on wonder boys. Um, so, uh, I'm going to add that to the pile. Um, I think that Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Allen white and John Bernthal in the bear, um, play convincing mm-hmm. siblings and then sure. there's this little scene movie i enjoy called this is where i leave you that has jason bateman tina fey and adam driver all playing siblings um and they don't look like siblings but behavior wise it's so believable i don't know if you've ever seen that movie but it's it i can't remember like They're siblings it's got jane fonda in it I think and it's i a, have seen it it's another I think sitting I have seen it. shiva movie where mm-hmm there to bury the father and right um, yeah yeah. um so uh that's gonna do it for episode 85 85 jerry uh, of (laughs) wreckitopia uh next week's homework is match point which is available for free on many platforms some with ads some without we'd like to give a shout out to the chat uh for being here live and adding comments and helping us know when the static was good or bad and other (laughs) uh important information. Uh, We really do appreciate you guys. And uh, you give us a feeling of a live audience because you are one and that keeps us on our toes. Uh, We will see you all next week. That's going to do it. Goodbye. Bye, guys. part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins chat with us on the cinema sins discord at discord.gg slash cinema sins or cinema sins twitter at cinemasins, and email any comments or questions to rekatopia at cinemasins.com. that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinemasins.com.
1: It's me, Dicero. Check one, check two, check three. Speaking of the industry, strike's yes. over for the writers. Um, I mean, I guess they still have to vote on it. That's a formality, though, right? I don't know. You know you would,
0: you, I think so. I you, think so.
1: You would think you put the people up there to do the job, they do the job, and then you vote it through. Like, I mean.
0: Well, especially since those people are calling this deal exceptional, That's right? Quite a word to use. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's a formality for the most part. I was ultimately surprised that the director's guild voted to accept their deal because mm-hmm. on social media, it seemed like a lot of directors were against it and ultimately mm-hmm. they just didn't vote, Or they just didn't, didn't go vote. So like 5,000 people voted and it passed, um, which is kind of surprising to me, but that's a different guild altogether. Uh, and that was also six months ago, four mm-hmm. months ago.
1: Um, yeah. May so now, right? Yeah, it was May.
0: So now here's the thing. They can go back to work writing. Correct. But the but the actors are still strike striking. Yeah. And I've seen several writers say, now we go pick it and stand with the actors. Correct. So are they not going to go to work?
1: No, they w- they will work. They're just going to take a stand with the the I writers. See. I mean it may I come see. it may come to a place where, you know, they want to make some statement like that, but I think at this point it's dominoes, right? Like I think the idea is if they're going to give the writers what they want, they'll give if the actors, give the what, actors the, what they what they want cuz they're ready, you know.
0: Well, especially when so many other like I think A24 is giving has, has already given in to both you know, unions, demands, if you will. Uh, there are several little production houses. Yeah. Yeah, they've got, uh, what do um, they call
1: them, waivers or whatever, that even during the strike they were working because they were like, yeah, we'll do that. That's no problem. <laughs> yeah, we'll pay you fairly. <laughs> I was doing a lot of thinking yesterday after, you know, thinking about, oh, okay, the stuff is going to be back in production. Stuff's going to start coming out again. You know, whenever that may be. I don't think they're going to bring back anything that they pushed to 24 back to 23. I don't think that's happening. I think there's the machine's probably too big to, to go in reverse like that. But, um, but it did get me thinking like, this doesn't mean the industry is solid. <laughs> like this, this is an industry in turmoil, whether the writers and actors, you know, get their deals or not. Like, it's just wild what technology has done to the excuse the word content industry you know like it's I I just I have no idea what this looks like 10 years from now I have no idea
0: what really got me thinking that way was when the actors went on strike and the not Fran Drescher guy who's like the co-in-charge or Mm -hmm. second in charge right was reading off some of what The studios thought was fair and said they want to be able to take background actors and scan their entire bodies right and then use that in perpetuity forever uh with only the one compensation and i thought that's wild and then i started seeing background actors come on twitter and say "Um, (laughs) they did this i got scanned (laughs) six months ago what does that mean for my future i didn't tell me that's what was happening um
1: so you know how much of that how much of that cat is already out of the bag And how much Uh, of it matters 10 years from now, the people with the money and the power are just going to create human beings to be their actors whole cloth. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's wild to me. They won't need anybody to voice them. They won't need voiceover for them. It'll be just high tech, realistic animation, so to speak. And the voices will be animated as well uh, through AI or whatever. Like it's uh, 10 years from now, literally the entire job of acting may be a moot point. How insane is that? I wonder. I wonder if they can, if an if a computer
0: can capture what makes
1: not now. It's a not, human being charismatic. Not now. Uh, You're saying on a philosophical level, you wonder if it's ever possible. Like if there's some spark yes. there that AI will never be able to replicate.
0: George Clooney became a star because he's charming as hell, mm-hmm. and he's got a charisma about right the way he carries himself. Can a computer? do that um probably eventually
1: that's what I, that's what i'm saying like i just don't that's what's wild to me is i have no idea and like it it really just could be like like literally uh l- let's say you know you wanted to do an abel's movie like literally you could buy software say here's the plot make me a movie and you watch it and go actually in this act can we do this actually i want th- like you could be the director Of this completely computer-generated actual film of your material, like it's it's wild to me the possibilities. Somebody
0: is going to try and do it,
1: but say it's not. Like somebody is going to try and oh, like slip it into theaters and be like, "Gotcha!" Has to be. (laughs) No humans were involved in this. (laughs) You don't.
0: You don't work on creating that kind of capability without wanting. To fool people,
1: right. that's the ultimate goal,
0: right? Like a version of can't the tell the difference. The version of
1: the, the Turing test, right? Is that what it's called, the Turing test? Yes. Where, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yes. So if they can't tell the difference between you know an AI movie and a and a you know human movie, then you have you have succeeded. You've right. reached the pinnacle right. of what you can do. Um, so yeah, I would think they would it's want wild. almost like a magician's mindset. You want to fool somebody.
1: And then you get into the ethics and the morals and how do we feel about that. And like, like so many things, it's going to be, you know, how do we adjust to a society where there just aren't as many jobs needed? Like people just aren't needed to do as much. And so, you know, when does. Well, no one's going to go around giving those people money to pay rent. (laughs) and healthcare. It's going to get pretty dystopian. Well, that's that is that is where the turn happens. Right. Between utopian and dystopian is if if you find a way governmentally or structurally to just have people be able to live comfortably um, without having to have a job. That's that's the I mean, turn. Right. Like, you know,
0: we already have individual human beings in America who could shave one percent of their wealth and cover the entire nation. Right. And they aren't, they aren't doing it no. They're not. They would never miss that. That would be like a dime to them mm-hmm. and they're not doing it mm-hmm. they just want more yep so unless we get somebody to that level of wealth who's <laughs> altruistic, which i believe is impossible
1: i have i think uh seen in my life the idea that um laws or you know uh general community ethics flow uphill in other words like eventually like we think like president congress those like we think that's where you know uh ethics comes from or morals come from or laws come from or whatever but it's actually the opposite way around it's actually over time what the the community wants flows uphill for instance the legalization of marijuana is a you know a big one That's becoming legal in more and more states just because the people want it, like the community wants it. The conversations are being had of like, how is, how is, you know, marijuana somehow worse than alcohol? You know what I mean? Like those are the conversations that people are having. And so eventually it's just, you know, it's going to be that way, but it just takes a long time.
0: Not because the community is talking about it and the people with money are like, you've won me over. It's because the people in the community are talking about it and the people with money are like, I can make money off of that. Yes, sure.
1: In a capitalistic society. We haven't changed any hearts
0: with our community campaign to get weed legal. We haven't.
1: I think think hearts have been changed. I think hearts on the ground have been changed. You know? Well, yes. Oh, okay.
0: Again, I'm talking about the people who are in a position to make universal changes or changes that impact the entire nation are currently
1: the people with money. Yes, because we live in an extremely capitalistic society. Yes. Right.
0: So I don't see how. That changes cool podcast episode on this. <laughs>